Hey everyone, this is kind of sort of maybe, and based on what you read on the title of this episode, this is going to be a solemn solo episode. So, this is my first time doing this, and yeah, like I said, you read the title of this episode, and tonight I'm going to be sharing my full testimony for the first time in a very long time. So... This is going to be easy, so please bear with me on this. Um, December 9, 2002, was born a white-haired, a brown-white-haired Caucasian male. And I was given through the procedure um, for about a full 20 minutes, when it normally should take about 6 hours, so... Even as I was just a newborn baby, I was quite the speed demon. <laughs> but it came at a pretty heavy consequence of that. And I had to spend at least a solid week in the hospital after my birth just for the doctors and nurses and the surgeons just to get all the fluid out of my lungs. And... Later, I was taken into a divided home. And what that would look like is that my mom was a full-fledged Christian at heart. And my dad, he claimed to be Christian too, but he was pretty iffy um, for a very long time. And around the time when I was just a young little boy, I was diagnosed with two of the three markers placed on my heart. Now what those markers symbolized was that each marker was supposed to mean that I was carrying on my significant odds that I would get um, heart failure that my dad had family ancestral history on. And um, around when I was about just a toddler I was maybe around six months and um, normally around toddlers that age they could speak their first words six to nine months guaranteed give or take um, I was so delayed on my speech that I couldn't even learn how to communicate properly with just using my words in fact I didn't even know how to use words um, since I didn't have the skill level for that, um, even for jobs that they couldn't speak, they could point at things. Like if they wanted water, or if they wanted goldfish, or if they just wanted, like, anything, really. And to me, I could only stare and look at things with, obviously, my eyes. Because what else are you going to look with? Um, eventually, when my parents couldn't figure out what I wanted um, it was always painful for me that I would just literally just either find the farthest corner in the house or hide under the nearest table and just sob throughout the entire day just because I couldn't successfully communicate with my parents um, so after a while they thought I was deaf and decided to take me to uh, ASL 
parenting classes and I had learned my very first language, American Sign Language. And to this day, I know a lot more than my mom, which is pretty significant. <laughs> um, but I had learned how to use sign language for many years when I was just a toddler. And around when I was about five years old, I say I first learned how to speak with words. Um, and around that time I was diagnosed with the doctors that said that I was diagnosed with a mental disability called PDD-NOS which stands for Processing Development Disorder Nonspecific and to put it simply I was mentally handicapped which meant that I couldn't speak in full sentences I had a lot of trouble uh, misunderstanding even the simplest things uh, communicating uh, translating the list can go on and on and um, to this day I still struggle with that but at least I'm getting a bit better each day um, around when I was about let's say nine or ten years old that's when I um, that's when I started to grow up in the church and thought I could accept Christ into my heart because I thought if I could be involved in a religious community then that was the way to be accepted into a family and so I grew up knowing that and I was raised under those circumstances and so um, around probably when I was um, let's say around in the start of fifth grade literally the first day um, um, when I was just riding one of those small buses for the disabled uh, kids I was in this um, school program called the RAP program which stood for Walter Road Autism Program and that program was for students who were um, young and disabled like I was and I don't remember who this kid was or what his name was but um, one day I don't know why but he decided to um, walk around the bus as it was driving and for small buses you got a lot of private room especially if one of those small buses are for the uh, kids with wheelchairs or crutches anywho this kid was prancing around the school bus and I was just playing Pokemon on my DS Lite and I have happened to notice that he was 
showing around people like, I've got something special to show you. It's so amazing. You gotta look at it. And little did I know, it was his little wiener. And, um, evidently, I never looked at it. Because <laughs> I wanted to be the good noodle. And, um, I just paid no attention since it was just stupid. And it still is, that I think it. And, one of my, um acquaintances back then her name was Julia Birch and she was harassed by that kid's um thing I'm gonna say so um one day he decided to just he just got so livid that he decided to just spray his entire ball sack of urine just all over poor Julia and I just remembered her just looking so mortified at that and that's not a pretty sight to look at back then especially when you're that young and to be fair I was also traumatized as well just because of just watching the horror on other kids on just being victimized just like that and well I didn't exactly have a strong vocabulary like I do today and I decided to do what was the most um, compassionate and caring thing that I could think of that not sedated me but that um, kept me at ease and kept me from freaking out, which was listening to music on my iPod. Well, it wasn't mine, it was my dad, since he let me borrow his, since I wasn't old enough to have a phone. Anywho, um, I shared my iPod with Julia the entire trip when um, she returned home. And, and... For the entire month of September, I avoided of just going to school, and the school district agreed to compensate uh, for my trauma care and decided to t give me uh, enough funds for to see a counselor. And I did that, and the way they helped me was just repeating the same trauma that I had over and over until it stopped uh, hurting. Which, eventually, it did, but it's still not pretty to look back after. And, um, around afterwards when I quote-unquote graduated from the rap program, um, just because of how badly they were handling things, um, they said that I was going to be graduated and going to be removed from the program. Now, at first, I was really excited because... I thought like I learned all the skills and abilities that I needed to uh, adapt in life. But clearly it was just for them to remove me because of how much hurt I was going through. They weren't going to be um, willing to accept my hardships. And so they just boot me from the program. And around when I was in the sixth grade, I 
went into this elementary school called Woodland Elementary. Now, that's when the harassment season um, started to begin. Um, around that time still, I felt like I was living in my parents' faith and I didn't know how to make it my own. And so I started telling about others about Jesus and how I accepted him for who I thought he accepted me as. Now, I didn't see that as wrong. And today, I don't see uh, telling others about your faith in Christ is a bad thing. I don't see how that is any way the opposite of good. Um, so a small group of kids about roughly four to six and it was around um the late november i believe and they had threatened me to um they said like if i wasn't gonna stop telling people about my faith then they were gonna threaten to uh beat me up and cut my hair now around that time when I was in elementary and mid-junior high, but I'll get into that. I had pretty long hair, like a bit down to my shoulder. And I was not exactly the best looking kid in the world. I was like a long-haired pudgy Smeagol. <laughs> so I ignored them and... I just had a don't care attitude and I just kept on preaching my faith. Like I was just reading in what the little kids were hearing called the good book. And little did I know that the next day uh, around recess they took me to a private corner where they had literally cut my hair so ugly that it was hard to tell that it was either like a buzz cut or like a really bad Miley Cyrus style um, and after that they bruised me head to toe and after that day I just was just sobbing in front of my mom just begging her just not to let me go back there just because it was such a hellhole and my mom went all mama bear mode and she went up to the school and told about this and she's like well aren't you gonna do something about this he's my son i don't want him to be hurt and harassed just like this and the school's like yeah sorry we're too busy for that he's not worth our time so the school ignored my mom's um angry plea so what she did what I thought was also the right thing. She removed me from public school and took me in for homeschooling for the rest of the sixth year. So I was now part of the homeschool community. So yay. Um, so around the seventh grade, um, I was moved back into the rap program for public school. And Basically, I had um, 
I witnessed my mom telling my junior high rap teacher that um, of how poorly they treated me um, in the fifth and sixth grade. And my teacher then, her name was Miss McAuliffe. Or some of the students remember her in her class call her Miss McMean. Um, it's just an inside joke. Um, anyways, she's like, well, we're not going to do that to him. We're not that stupid. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, they're not, she said they weren't stupid. And if they were, they're not going to be like that again. Um, so around the seventh grade, um, I started to develop one of my, uh, good acquaintance friends, um, I don't remember much of her, but her name was Jordan, and apparently, um, she basically, uh, didn't grow up with, um, living with her parents, and she's, she was living with her grandmother, and since she didn't really have much to eat around lunch, I wanted to be compassionate and caring once again, and well, I remember having two pizzas packed for lunch from Little Caesars. So I decided to just give her one of my slices. And not only that, I just shared practically almost my whole lunch with her. Um, yeah, so I don't know how she's doing today, but if she somehow hears this, then I hope she's doing well and if not then then God will be just right in her mind and she's he's always going to be by her side no matter what she says or what she regrets or what she's lived through no matter how much hurt she's been dealt upon she's gonna be comforted and she's gonna be taken um, good care of so if somehow she's watching us those are my words to her and fast forward um, next year I guess that's not really a fast forward um, so then I go into my eighth grade year and I was moved to this place called Ferrucci Junior High and at first the rap program was moved there just because it was tradition to move the rap program to a different junior high every five years or so don't know why it's dumb anyways so what it kind of looked like it was just like a giant um red prison that was in the shape of a fruitcake at least that's what I imagined anyways. So. At first I thought it was going to be like. I'm going on an adventure. But obviously. That's not the adventure I was thinking of. Um, so. One day. I was just sitting down at lunch. And I was reading somewhere in Proverbs. I I don't remember where. And I was alone. 
and I remember that somebody tapped on my shoulder and I turned around and I couldn't hear the first time that she was mouthing her words but it seemed like it, it was extremely loud and the junior high and averagely it just takes about maybe like two to four hundred kids and this school was roughly about six to seven hundred something I know crazy anyways I asked her to repeat her the words and she tells me that she um, hang on. she said to me that she likes me and wants to get to know me and that she's had a really big crush on me for a while now inside I just wanted to just dance like nobody was watching because I felt like the first time in a long time that somebody outside my family could actually love me and then I just see a group of of maybe 10 to 11 of her friends just somewhere in one of the corners and I could just see them all snickering at something now first in my head I'm like what are they laughing at a dumb meme or something and then I see one of her friends come up to her and she says do you want to tell them or should I and so in my mind I'm really confused I'm like tell me what and she says oh it's just all the big joke I didn't really mean anything what I said and I felt like the rug just got yanked so hard that I couldn't tell whether it hurt the most whether I landed on the back of my head or the end of my batuti. And on the outside, I just played along with it because I didn't want to look so pathetic or more pathetic at least. And next year, I see a group of my friends that are, one of them is on their phones, and one of my friends is like, hey dude, come here. Look, I know you've been having a hard time keeping friendships and making friendships with girls here lately, and uh, well, I feel bad and I really want to help you out, so the answer is right here. And he showed me his phone. And that's when I fell into the abyss of pornography. Now, at first, I had no idea what it was. Maybe like it was a documentary of it. But I just stopped watching for a solid minute just because it just was so grotesque. And as soon as I slowly looked around, um, every single one of my friends that was just surrounding me just recording me on their phones on literally every single social media that they could find or whatever that they could um record on anything to get people's attention and i remember saying that i'm well I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say just because of the sake of this podcast but let's just say they've cut me really deep with just what they said and as soon as the bell rings they stop recording and they go to their regular classes and I was just 
so dumbfounded. Like, I, I couldn't even figure out how to process through this. And I see my rap teacher coming up to me. And she was asking me, like, what was that whole scene about? And I told her from my perspective. And hopefully she would keep her promise like she did with my mom. And that's when I finally learned what the definition of irony was. And she took their side and she just didn't really respect me so much anymore. And for the rest of the day, she sent me to the principal's office and I stayed there for the rest of the entire school day until my parents came to pick me up. Um, so for the school's uh, temporary solution was that they didn't want to deny the rights of a student's education because it was so big back then. Um, they decided to suspend me for a solid two weeks and see how it goes. Now, at the time, I went to the church that I grew up at called Pure Nazarene. Now, I told them about my testimony, bleh, my testimony, sorry guys, about what happened there. And I was looking for some spiritual advice about this. And the last piece of advice I got from them was not advice. And they decided that their solution was the school's solution. Maybe I'm not saying that right. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the school's way to isolate me from everybody else after I was suspended was going to be theirs. But the difference was they weren't going to suspend me. They were just literally going to isolate from me from every single person except from um, security and occasionally staff. And that felt like the church rejected me as Christ rejected me. And it felt like that the gospel was just one big fat lie. And that I was an idiot then for just believing something so stupendously it felt like that Christ took up the cross looked around the entire crowds and spoke for the living the deceased and the future living that said what they quoted in the gospels and to me it felt like I committed the unforgivable sin and that he wasn't willing to pay the price for me and that I had to find my way out and I felt so ashamed for believing such things and I had left Christianity 
for at least a year and a half. And I renounced my faith. Now at the time, I knew what Christianity was, and I knew who God was. I just felt like he just completely forsake me like he did for Jesus when he died on the cross. And I felt like that as soon as I got back from my two weeks of suspension, I was literally surrounded by guards on literally every single wall on every single corner and I just had like an entire huge table to myself. Now it's one thing for me to isolate myself because it's a choice and I need to recoup. But it's one thing to completely isolate me from everybody else that I was set up for and that I shouldn't be guilty of. And for my almost entire year of my freshman time um my mom um decided to get some private backup and she had some private investigators or whatever to see if she could collect the evidence to see that I was innocent which of course she believed and I believed too because I didn't want to believe a lie for something that I knew that the truth was to and eventually till around late May is when they found um, all the pieces of evidence that there were private hidden text messages just conspiring against me and I just I just felt very relieved at that but I didn't want to thank God for that just because I again that when the church rejected me Christ rejected me so I didn't want to give him any credit for that I just thought that there was still a little bit of luck left in me or at least a bit of justice left in society so um around the time when I uh after I graduated in my midsummer uh my dad decided to reveal his testimony to me and Part of it explained why he mostly wasn't there when I was just a child. And um, to this day, he's um, truly committed to his faith. And I couldn't be more prouder of him than he is today. And, well... Around, I'd say my, sometime around my sophomore year, 
my friend Josh Kanyez. Now, there's three Joshes here at Ravencrest, so I get that it's hard to keep up with three of them. Now there's a fourth. Well, this Josh Kanyez was really special to me. And is still. So, he was one of my closest friends from... Um, from my childhood days. And apparently he kept on trying to convince me to go to his church, Calvary Community. And one day I just gave in and went to his church one night. And then I told him about my testimony then. And I was just thinking like, oh, I'll just give it a few weeks. It'll be no big deal. They're just going to give me the same answer. And there was that second strike of irony. And they told me that they have young people just like me who have a lot of personal stuff in their life that they need to help getting straightened out and need someone to walk with them, especially in their faith too. And that's... Probably the day around when I was turning 16 or so. And they helped me a lot and I still have. That doesn't mean I'm, I don't appreciate their help today or it doesn't mean that I um Lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, I'll probably come back to it. Anyways. <coughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> so, um, around when I'd say 20 or 2020 hit, or as Jorge and I call it, the year, um, because I refuse to say the old Omicron word and whatnot. So y'all know what it is by now. So, I just thought at first it was just going to be like four or five weeks that it was just going to fly by. And it was just a national emergency for everybody to quarantine in their homes. Obviously, that was not the right guess. And I was forced to quarantine for my entire school year crammed at home. So that's when my depression started to kick in. And around when I was in my freshman year, um, I started to feel that a lot of things weren't very special to me just because of how much it just messed things up. Like, my birthday doesn't really feel special, or holidays didn't really feel special. But I think that was only just because I could only remember the bad memories I've had in my childhood, and I could rarely remember only the good ones. And, um, around, uh, when I was about 17... I had a lot of 
struggle with my memory. And half of me was convinced that I had short-term memory loss just because I couldn't remember things too well. Either that or it was just poor habit planning. Um, so... Around... Um, in mid-December of 2022, um, almost my entire senior year, my depression was the highest then. Just because that I felt like nothing could get back to the way it was. And nothing really felt special anymore since I was always at home. Listening, looking, and repeating the same things over and over. That I just wanted something extraordinarily joyful. And since I couldn't find that. I was coming up with lots of creative ways on planning to kill myself. And... There's so many. You could write an entire chapter in a part of a book that's just solely on suicidal ideas. Um, but I don't want to get too deep with the details for that. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, so... Some days... Today, it's... It's always a battle. And I used to think that that I would just count the days on what the streak was that I could just survive. Just un, just keep count of like day one or day two. And then, oh, wait, I relapsed. Now it's time to start again. One, two, three. Oh, relapse. Now I got to do the whole cycle again. To me, now... A more positive state of mind instead of just keeping track of it as a number streak. Like it's that much to keep a burden. To me, in my head, I don't remember who it was whose influence fell upon me to say this. And I'm probably going to paraphrase. And they said, just say to yourself one more try. Just do it one more time. Don't think about anything else. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't become anxious for nothing. Just get back on your feet and do it one more. And if you wake up in the next morning, bonus. So, that's my testimony. And, yeah, this is one of those serious episodes. Um, and if you guys have listened to this far, then kudos to you for having the heart and the patience just for listening to this. It really means a lot to me that... 
regardless of how many downloads there have been on my podcast and episodes. It really means a lot to me that people can listen, whether it's from South Carolina or Austria or somewhere in Japan. It really means a lot to me. And I bet it means quite a bit to you guys to hear someone else's story about their faith. But until the next episode, guys, I'll keep you guys posted. And I'll see you guys in the next one.